0: Cheers. Cheers. What's your idea? Scare me. Wait, like... You scare me, I'll scare you. What? Power outage. I'm bored. You're a scaredy-cat. Unfair. Let's tell each other scary stories. If I hadn't taken the risk... You know, uh, to make Scare Me, to take like money out of my 401k, like from my time at College Humor as starter funds, which was so uh, financially inappropriate and reckless. <laughs> but if I didn't do that and I didn't make that first movie, I wouldn't have been able to um, have this opportunity. You know, Vanishing Angle, Matt Miller, and Natalie Metzger specifically, they came to the test screening of the very first cut of Scare Me and then realized like, oh, this dude can direct movies we're gonna keep him in mind for projects and then this you know this ubisoft came to them hey have any directors you want to throw in the ring for this potential job and so when i read nishna wolf's script i immediately knew i wanted to direct it it felt like the movies i grew up watching from you know arachnophobia to jaws yep. and, and fargo a lycanthrope a what lycanthrope. a werewolf
1: Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin and Dave. Hey, guys. What's Hello. up? Kat is on vacation once again. Uh, I guess, <laughs> how, much, how much PTO does she get? I th- mean. This is the thing that concerns me. You know, she's camping this week, uh, which is great. I like to see her getting out to the outdoors, especially in the summertime. But I, I'm getting a little just a little bit concerned about her blowing through all her uh, flex time. So quickly, we're only halfway through the year, and I, I'm just worried that, you know, come Christmas time, she's going to be doing the show by herself. We're, we're all we're going to be
0: off. Yeah, we're yeah. going to be off. We should go on vacation together somewhere without Kat, and she can just run the show. On Christmas. We should be careful, because some
2: listeners might prefer that.
1: <laughs> I'm That's sure. true. I was, yeah, don't, don't threaten
2: them with a better show. But I mean, I will I will look up the policy when we're done recording tonight. I will look up the speak all evil flex time policy. Guys, it's uh, it's episode seventy. Boom, getting old. Can you believe it? <laughs> I mean,
1: te- technically, it's like seventy three or no, something. No, I no? think yeah, it is with episode X's. When we when we did our supplemental episode the week that we did the satanic supplement with the Patreon episode on the main feed, I bumped us up, figuring nobody would notice. We went from episode 666. So I bumped us up too. So oh. we, are at, we are at 70. This is a true 70. Okay. Wow.
2: Congratulations, guys. We made it. I can't believe it. So we're at like, wow. like 110 or something if you count the Patreon. There's a lot of content out there. There is. Someone
0: asked me the other day how many movies we've watched. Uh, I'm not the math guy, Kevin. If you could give me some stats on how many movies we've watched,
2: <laughs> I gave it to you. I gave it to you um, at the one-year anniversary. I did. The, I did all the math for you. You want an update? it's well, been more. Six you want months to more.
0: Yeah. We, yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, I'll get on that. Hold on. Let me. Let me just add this. No, you don't have
0: to do it right now. No, I no, mean, no, no I'm not saying.
2: I'm just going to, you know, add it to my to-do list.
1: Well, I was thinking, and okay. people are going to hear about this every time we reach a number. The ends in zero until we get to 100, I think. But I was like so surprised that we're at 70 and I was thinking, you know, normally I quit everything pretty easily. You know, I get discouraged and get down on myself. I don't think I can do this. Um, But then I was thinking the other side of the coin from that is that I will also do things for way, way, way too long, you know, long after any sensible person would have stopped doing them continue to bang my head against the wall you know on the most worthless thing. so I guess
0: this would fall into that camp for me I'd like I'd like oh to God. see us try I'd like to see us to just try to retire <laughs> if we tried to retire this podcast, I guarantee like some new movie would come out and we would be right back at it. We got to talk about this movie
1: I will never retire. I, I expected to be doing this by <laughs> myself by now so this has been really oh amazing. come on. I was in Come my on. mind. I was. I've been wondering who will drop out first, but yeah, you, know, you get to seventy episodes. You you figure these guys are along for the, you know the duration. I mean, Trent, you and
2: I were part of a podcast that went what three hundred and something episodes. One hundred and seventy-two. Yeah, close enough. Let's round it up to <laughs> three hundred. and something.
0: <laughs> maybe maybe don't crunch those numbers, Trent. Maybe you, you should crunch the numbers.
1: Maybe I'm not the math guy. <laughs> this week. We are back at the movies, I am happy to report. We have all, once again, been to the big movie place and seen the movie in person on the big screen. Feels so good, it's been so long, I miss it so much. I went to this one twice. We went to see Werewolves Within, which is the sophomore directorial offering from Josh Rubin, who has been on the uh, filmmaking scene for all of one year. Which is kind of crazy that we're already past the uh, promising debut and now we're we're into the second film. So we went to see Werewolves Within, but we're going to talk first about the movie that put him on the map just last year called Scare Me. Kevin, tell us about Scare Me. I think this is one Trent that maybe it was going to be available
2: prior to 2020, but maybe got uh, COVIDed. Um. Either way, Josh Rubin has two movies out in two years and has put himself firmly on the map. But his first one, he wrote, he directed, he produced, and he was one of the two lead actors out of four total actors. If you want a real short synopsis on Scare Me, it's this. Two strangers tell scary stories in a Catskills cabin during a power outage. That's literally what it is. If you want to get a little more into it, Josh Rubin plays Fred, who is an aspiring writer- slash actor and he has decided to rent a cabin in a secluded part of the Catskills and he has this brilliant idea which I'm sure we will get to and which he honestly never does. And while on a jog, he runs into he runs into Fanny. And Fanny happens to be a very recent best-selling horror author of, of, a, of a, a book that she just wrote. And as they are they go their separate ways, the power goes out. Fanny shows up and decides, you know what, the power's out, we're going to start a fire, we're going to start drinking, and we're going to just come up with stories right now to scare ourselves with. Entertain me, she yells at him at some point. And I don't know how he pulled this movie off. I, I skipped over this movie a million times. I thought it was some like little indie anthology. And Trent, we've had this conversation when I was on my anthology kick. Yes. The Bloody Discussion Review calls this an anthology. Maybe technically that's true, but I don't think so. Either way, I don't know how he pulled this off with two people. Uh, when I finally did decide to watch it, I should say, I was like, wow, this is going to be two people in a cabin telling each other stories. This is not going to be good, but I've run out of things to watch on Shudder, and I was like halfway through the movie when I, it just started to creep in like, wow, this is going to end up being one of my favorite movies of the year. And since my first watch of Scare Me, it's become, like, a comfort watch. It's become a, I don't know what to watch, and I might not be able to pay 100% attention to it right now, but I'm going to put this on. And I literally just keep going back to the well. Uh, we can get into the details. Uh, the only thing that I want to say is, who the hell is Josh Rubin? Where has he been? And how has he, like, he's crashed onto this horror comedy scene, like, the way that Ari Aster crashed into, like, the arthouse horror scene. And... Both of them, I'm going to say, because I said this about Ari Haster too, both of them now have a chance to have a, a movie hat trick to start their careers and really cement themselves. But I loved this movie, and Trent and I have talked about it. I, I really can't wait, Dave, to get your take on Scare Me because I don't think we've ever discussed it.
0: Well, I love how you talk about horror uh, directors like their coaches of your favorite <laughs> athletic yeah. team. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I think that it takes a really special, graceful type of sociopath to <laughs> write, direct, and act in your own movie, and it's it's easily a formula to fail or just uh, I I don't know like. The director, writer, actor Loses his mind Or something happens Um But He seems So good at this And this is uh, I, I thought there was a movie Before this called Fred um, I'm sure he's he got did. some
2: shorts out there I mean ev- everybody's got like Some short films out there But like for a feature right. debut
0: Um Well I loved it uh, You guys had uh, Recommended it to me And it's the kind of movie that I'm glad we're talking about it on the podcast because it's the kind of movie you could start and read the synopsis and be like, "Oh, I'm not into this and turn it off yep um but you need to stick with it because uh everything happens for a reason and and he's such a great actor uh it, at one point in the film uh there's a huge tone switch and It's just completely flawless. He does it so well. Um, And he's actually good at being scary. Like some of his faces and stuff, he's like actually scary. And um, where he came from, what I found was uh, if you look him up, I was looking through uh, making the trailer last night. I was looking through like clips of interviews and stuff, and there's not really that much. And if you just like Google his name and look for for videos – there's a lot of impressions. He does impressions of other actors. And, um, I would say that like knowing that, uh, his very good comedic performance, uh, at at versus his like dramatic performance in this, um, you know, it's, he's definitely, uh, he's definitely a, a great actor. And I think a lot of this comes from maybe channeling some of these horror movies, uh, some of the classics. Um, but I was honestly really sad that he was not in werewolves within. Um, I was immediately like, Oh really? I'd like to watch another movie with him, uh, acting in it because he was so good in this movie. Um, and this movie's, I, the thing I like most about it, it's kind of based around this, like really skeletal idea that he has about a werewolf movie that, Doesn't really sound like a pitch, Uh, like he doesn't really have anything to work with. He just wants to make a movie, I mean a book, uh, that he's picturing like in his mind. Um, But he doesn't really have anything yet. And he's so good at falling short every time um, the girl, Fanny, is like excelling. And she's like slaying him and he's just getting emasculated. And um, he's so good at failing in this movie. But yeah, this is like one of my favorite movies. It's super original. I watched it with Connie last night and she was like, "This is like the best episode of SNL that never ends."
1: It's <laughs> a great call.
2: <laughs> nice I was like, car. yeah, that
0: is that is like that.
1: I would agree and in addition to directing, writing, and starring, Ruben also produced this. And he produced it with his 401k right. money from college humor. That's where he came up on the internet comedy stuff um, and he was like um, I think he was citizens upright you know you know those like improv comedy troops and stuff he came up like yeah from that realm and did a lot of internet comedy and stuff and he was more of an actor so this was he, he came out of nowhere in terms of filmmaking but he had been sort of kicking around if you were into that stuff you might have heard of him and he talks about some of his interviews that he, like, mortgaged his entire future. He took everything out and uh, to make this movie, which seems to have paid off. I had the same trepidation about this movie as you guys did. The It's a Shudder original, we should mention. Um, you can rent it wherever, but it is still on Shudder. They picked it up for distribution after he had, I think, debuted it at some film festivals. But the, the description, yeah, two strangers tell each other scary stories. I, I was like, this... What is this? This can not That's not a movie. I don't know what kind of movie is that? This is probably going to be some kind of lame shutter thing, like the old days, the old shutter. Like, I, I don't know about this. And I started watching it, and, you know, it's getting going, and the characters are, are introduced, and Aya Cash is it Aya? Aya? Aya Cash?
2: I say Aya Cash.
1: Aya Cash. You know, you start, she kind of pulls you in a little bit because you're like, man, she is really interesting. She's doing a really great job here. She kind of gets most of the character stuff early on. But I was thinking, what the hell is this? This is just these two people like talking and kind of she's like insulting and being witty. Very, very funny. And I'm like, I, I don't think this is my, how is this going to be a horror movie? I kept wondering where, where is it going to go? And like over the course of the running time, I just kept being like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then when they start acting out they're doing charades in this cabin, you know, with no power, and they're doing these like charade stories for each other, and it slowly starts building more production. You start getting like sound design and stuff, and it starts getting more and more dramatic. The film work really starts kicking in. I start really getting engrossed. And by the end of the movie, I was like, Wow, this was a true journey, which doesn't happen very often from what the hell is this? to like, wow, that was amazing. This guy is kind of a genius, and I, I wasn't—I uh, was unfamiliar with Ayakash, who I was totally in love with by the end of this, and now yeah. I've, I've seen it again, and I'm still in love with. And I'm a love—I'm in love with his next star as well. I'd like to spend a lot of time with
0: Ayakash
1: yep. and um, Milana. Yeah, how do you say the last name? <laughs> I don't know. You take a stab at it, man. Milana Vaintrub is how I say it. I, I just imagine like—I could imagine like uh, an evening out. With Aya Cash and Milana Veintrup being the funniest, most starstruck night of my life. I'd probably just die after that. Oh, um, but what I'd give to be their platonic friend. Yeah, that's fine. That's all I'm talking about. I'm not talking about any yeah. blue stuff. I'm just, Aya Cash is so good in this, so sharp. And um, she just, just nails it. Everyone in this nails it. And it's really just the three of them. And then you're not ready at all for Carlo to show up. <laughs> that's probably oh, my, favorite, you're, you're, my favorite part I'm so happy he does yeah because you're almost getting to a point so they're telling the stories and she's kind of zinging him the whole time she's the successful writer and he's like the um, the Jack Torrance of this there's a lot of shining I think in both of these movies he's the guy that's gone out to the cabin because he's convinced that he's a writer well, if only he can go out to the cabin like a real writer would go on a real retreat by himself writer's block kills a lot of people <sighs> writer's block is the worst and let me tell you one way to not solve it go out to a cabin you're going to be sitting there like this guy looking at a blank you know piece of paper or screen going like oh, okay well maybe if i have some dinner have a couple beers things will really get rolling here no they won't you're a fraud you can't write at all you got nothing i really identified with with that just as in the shining that whole like writer's block, that anxiety, wondering if you're a fraud or not, if, if you can even do this. So once they've been, they've been doing this for a while, they order some pizza, and Carlo, the delivery guy, shows up. And that is when the movie really kicks into high gear. I, his performance, Chris Redd, incredible, incredible Speaking of SNL.
0: Yeah, he's from SNL.
1: Well, Chris Red
2: too, is in a bunch of, like, random, like, B-horror movies. Like, I'll put on just random stuff from time to time. Like, eh, whatever. Like, I'm just laying in bed or I'm working late. And, like, Chris Red keeps popping up in B-horror movies.
0: Yeah, he was great. He was a great dynamic. And they, they used him very well, uh, not only to continue to emasculate uh, Fred, but uh, just it was, like, fun too but it also had like some deeper things that it was doing while it was extremely like that that part of the movie is like chaos
2: yeah i mean he basically gives chris red some of the best dialogue you know one of the things we i think what we're all talking about here is this is a rare movie where it it literally ramps up appropriately the entire time like to to a climax and the climax is also like a total shift in tone, which could throw you off sometimes. You could be like, hey, I've comfortably spent an hour and 20 minutes in this tone being, being kind of elevated with, you know, my engagement and my emotions. And then you shift tone. How are you going to take me, keep me engaged and take me to that next level? But Red's character has some of the best lines. I mean, this is a guy that delivers a pizza in a power outage and then he, they ask him to stay. And he ends up staying. And his joining in, Trent, like you said, to Fred's emasculation is so innocent and unintentional. Like, whereas she is just sharp and cutting. He is just like, total, he, <laughs> Carlo is Carlo 100% of the time. Everybody wants to meet a Carlo and just hang out with him. Because there's a yep. 0% chance that Carlo ever picks one side or the other. Carlo is just there to have fun. He If you, if you engage him, you're good. He's going to totally get down with you. And he has one of the best quotes when he's leaving. (laughs) It's, hey, it's just one of those nights, you know, where you leave to deliver a pizza to a couple of strangers who end up being your friends and tell ghost stories and do blow. One's your favorite (laughs) author and the other one is a Fred. (laughs) And he's not even saying that to diss him. He's like being totally authentic.
1: Yeah, Carlo just happens to be familiar with Fanny's novel Venus and loves it. Yes, it, so that it just adds to Fred's sort of the humiliation that he really is piling upon himself because he—it's really more about him. You know, he keeps taking exception to these jokes that that Fanny is making. They obviously hit a little too hard. I'm
0: wondering how deep uh, this middle-aged white man uh, competition goes because if you think about it he's pointing out all throughout the movie or his the other people are pointing out but his writing is pointing out him being emasculated not being as good of a writer and then you know he wrote it though yeah i so in the end he made he, in the in the end the middle-aged white guy uh gets all the accolades um even though he set it up for his character in the movie uh to be uh what do you self-deprecated or whatever, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I love that aspect about it. It's kind of playing with that whole thing. He he is different from his character, or is he? I'm sure he has felt like Fred many times to get where he is. Right. I think anybody who who does stuff like that, anybody who writes or pursues some sort of like creative art, you have those moments. So I loved how it played with that. I mean, here's the guy who wrote, directed, produced, and starred in the movie, and he's giving you like Right. the worst version of himself. Like like right. his lowest, uh, <laughs> his lowest emotion, his lowest behavior and his lowest feelings about himself are just like on display. I think that was such a like cool, almost like a meta thing, really.
0: Yeah, it was very meta. And you, you actually got like, he's an amazing writer. I think that that's what everything, I think that drives the great acting. I think it drives uh, all the, all the characters is the really, really great writing. And he just uh he has I, I don't i don't know how to explain it I was just but there's just a depth to even all the jokes yeah um uh, at watching this two or three times uh there's just a lot going on with like uh dynamics and you feel like it's very honest it's like you were saying it's like things he's felt uh you you get that that feeling um and she also um it's not just a pity party for him. Um, she also says, you know, like, you know, I'm a fucking woman and I've been, someone's stolen my ideas every chance they can. You know what I mean? And there's also, uh, you know, that, that happens throughout the whole movie where she's constantly putting him in his place with like, I've paid my dues. I've earned this. Right. What have you done? I worked hard. That's why I'm, I'm here. Um, You know, so that was a great dynamic. That one aspect of Fanny's character actually reminded
1: me of you a little bit, Dave. And I, I really liked how this movie sort of like dug into the creative process of this sort of like guided brainstorming and sort of figuring it out and letting it take shape as you go, not being like frozen in fear like he is staring at his monitor. But she keeps saying, she keeps saying to Fred, just fucking do it. Come on. You're a writer. You have to do it. Just do it. Just jump in. Don't ruminate forever and theorize and think about what you're going to do and how it will work or how it will not work. Just get into the creative process and just do it and figure it out as you get in there because if you don't do that, you'll, you'll never get it.
0: Fanny's my hero. Thank you for uh, the comparison. That was very nice.
1: Yeah, the movie is,
2: I mean, like I said, it is vastly, there's a, well, it's not vastly in, or just about. It, it's large, a large part of it is definitely about relationships and about, you know, sort of like male fragility, like white male fragility. And there's this whole buildup in the movie. And this happens like pretty early on. It's only like within like 20 minutes. But when Fred first encounters Fanny, he is like completely like at her beck and call and fascinated by her and totally like fumbling over himself and has zero like you you get zero vibes that he would ever like throw a snide comment at her or try to dominate her in any way. But there's a point where Franny's challenging him. And in his werewolf story, she's basically, you know, he, she's like, what do you got? What do you got? And at this point, Fred has basically written on one piece of paper, werewolves have guns. Get revenge, question mark. <laughs> like, that's where <what> he <laughs> yeah, got That's his idea. So he's trying to tell her, like, well, I have this werewolf story. And she's like, uh, werewolves, uh, it's so trodden. Yeah. <laughs> Which I also thought was funny because I bet that he already knew his next project was Werewolves Within. <laughs> they came out way too close to each other. No, he didn't. So,
0: I love that that, that that even if that's an accident, it's amazing it's that this movie is kind of based around a werewolf and it was something he put his all his retirement <laughs> savings into <laughs> to make and then he got to make a werewolf movie. So like that is such a great story. <laughs> so she
2: so she's pushing him on this and then to sort of like give us a clue as to where Fred's character is going, he gets a text message. As he reads it, his face, like you said, Dave, his facial expressions are so good. His face gets very dark. And for the first time, he looks up after reading this text message and throws a really shitty comment Fanny's way. And it's the first time you see him challenge her at all and the first time you pick up a little subtle vibe that Fred is not as he seems. And and I like that about the movie, too, that, and I don't know if he did this intentionally or it was Aya Cash's performance, you have her down, in the first three minutes you meet her, you're mesmerized. You have her character down. Yes, she adds like some depth to it a little bit later on. There are some scenes of vulnerability that she does very well. But Fred's character is like a true one hour and 40 minute arc until mm, he is yeah. fully realized. Yeah. Or at least fully, uh, I guess I don't know what the word I'm like, like le- revealed, I guess, is, is the word that I'm looking for. And I also can't be- I also can't believe this movie's an hour and 43 minutes long. This is the kind of movie that you'd expect to see like host like 56 minutes or 70 minutes. I couldn't believe it when I went back to watch it this time because I'm always looking for the length for the show. I was like this movie's an hour and 43 minutes. It goes by like it's nothing.
0: Mm. I would have been fine if they cut out the musical number though.
2: I liked that. Yeah, you hate music. I, we know, Dave. No, I
0: don't hate. You say this about me. I, I do. fucking love musicals. <laughs> you, you. I love musicals. You don't obviously don't know. I hate them. I'm a huge, huge fan of musicals. I don't think it should ever be mixed with horror. I mean, I like fish, but I don't put it in chocolate. You said you hate <laughs> horror musicals.
1: <laughs> I hate all musicals. Yeah. but I liked it in this. I thought that that's that who you're thinking of was just added to the the, the steady incline the whole movie is an incline. And, and we've talked about movies that once it's over, you get, you, you didn't get it until the last minute of the movie almost. And then once you get it, it's like, you almost didn't really see it because you only now get it that the credits are rolling you almost have to watch it again and you know not everybody has the appetite for that but this is one that i think really rewards another viewing because of that aspect because of the way it climbs the whole entire time and another thing about the relationship between fred and fanny kevin you mentioned how his the way he relates to her changes from the fawning wannabe sort of fan to something darker. I thought it was interesting that the first scene of the movie is his Uber driver driving him to the cabin and she's asking him what he's doing. And he tells her that he's a writer, even though he works at an ad agency, you know, he's trying to like play himself up and she starts telling him, Oh, well I'm a writer too. She starts telling him all about her book idea and, and asking (laughs) him all these questions. And she's like a total punisher. And he's like, Oh, he's so annoyed. He just wants to nap. He doesn't want to answer all these questions from this this uh, Punisher, but then only a few minutes later, he is the Punisher. It's totally flipped. He, when he meets Fanny, now he's acting just like his Uber driver, and Fanny doesn't yeah. really have a lot of time for it either at first. She, she kind of reacts almost the same way he did. So I, I liked the way all of these things are kind of flipping around through the whole movie.
0: I like the entertainment food chain.
1: Yeah, exa- exactly. It is yeah. the entertainment <laughs> food chain. <laughs> Everybody's
2: looking <laughs> up, and <laughs> and that's and that's Rebecca Drysdale plays Bettina, the the Uber driver or cab driver or whatever. She, I mean, she's from the comedic world. Like, and that's it. Those are the only four. Uh, characters in this movie At the very end There's a bonus scene That you definitely Have to watch Because it brings The movie full circle Amazing. And you do see Like a bookstore owner Hanging like a sign Or whatever Or putting a book In a window For like five seconds uh, But that's That's totally it um, So there's a lot of Obvious Like horror movie References and nods In this But what I started To pick up on My watches this time Were the non Horror movie References um, Like when when uh, they start, uh, there's one point in the movie that really ratchets up, where they're talking, they're talking, they're talking, and Fanny just stops and says, "Now, who wants to do some cocaine?" And everyone's like, <laughs> "Yes!" Like, "Okay, let's do some coke." And uh, at one point, Carlo is like, you know, doing coke. He's supposed to be out delivering the rest of his pizzas, but he's he's hanging out, reenacting stories and and hanging out with them. And he takes this huge rail of coke <laughs> and Fanny <laughs> looks at him and goes, slow down, Lohan. I never <laughs> noticed that, like, he has a subtle diss on Lindsay Lohan in this movie. Um, there, there's a did you guys do you guys notice the uh, shout out to Maine?
0: yes the troll yes. story
2: takes place in maine i was like i'd never noticed that before
0: in an edible arrangement store i just want you to know because of this movie uh it's my mom's birthday and i got her an edible arrangement yeah. today yeah. for her birthday <laughs> because after they watching about it. scare me yeah you know
1: the the cocaine scene is almost a spoiler but we got to talk about something here oh yeah I'm i was sorry. not that, that ready that is true I was. Not I was going to say, no
2: matter what, you're not ready for it to come, so no one's going to know when it's coming because it's so out of the blue.
1: It, it's it's so. Good. That's another point again, where you you're like, oh wait a minute, your expectations are constantly subverted the whole time. You're like, oh whoa, then wait, drugs are coming out now. What, what's going on? This movie could really pick up some steam here. Did you guys notice the name of the pizza company?
0: Yes, Overlook, Overlook Mountain.
2: There's so many there's so many shining references like Dave already talked about. There's some um, there's definitely some like limping like Jack Torrance and um, like, you know, because there's some knee injuries that happen in the movie. But I thought that when Fanny was telling the grandpa story, which is incredibly creepy, by the way, there's very few props in this and we haven't even gotten into the sound design and the very few effects they put into it. But when she is talking in the the little girl's voice in the grandpa story, Cassie, she sounds just like Shelley Duvall in The Shining.
1: I uh, didn't pick up on that, but he, but Fred does uh, a Jack Torrance impersonation when he's talking to himself, when yep. he's getting acclimated yeah. to the cabin. It's it's all through it, which is really interesting because I think it's all through the next movie, which he didn't even write. So there's there's so many like that seem to be like amazing sort of happy accidents or serendipity between both of these movies. This one I think also is an incredibly 2020 movie. it's hard to think of another year other than 2020, the year of the pandemic and everybody being like enclosed to to have this great horror comedy movie about two people, two and a half, you know. Carlo is is really the star. He's only in the second Four. half. To, but yeah, but yeah. You know, when what other year would this even happen? And what other year would it be? picked up by shutter and put out and we're at home looking for anything to watch. And we don't even like the sound of it, but we check it out anyway and like discover this new talent.
0: And this is the decade of the comedians. Yes. This decade is yeah. comedians taking over horror and just elevate. I mean this, I consider this to be, even though it's horror comedy, it's pretty elevated in that it has uh, a very cool, like social commentary or, or human Commentary without putting it right in your face. It's just something that's happening naturally and evolving with the characters. No, it's I like it's the that.
2: little comments that they throw out there that like you don't notice. Like I noticed this time that uh, that Fanny looks at him one time when she's digging on Fred, and she's like, "Jesus, pass the Bechtel test." And I was like, "The Bechtel test." So I looked it up, and it's from it, it's literally like. Um, it says it's from Alison Bechtel in 1985, who had this comic called "Dykes to Watch Out For," and she credited like a friend of hers, Liz Wallace, and the writings of Virginia Woolf from, from ni- like the 1920s or something. But the Bechtel test basically asks whether a work of fiction features at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. <laughs> and studies wow. have studies have shown that properties who pass the test perform better financially. So I mean, it, it, this movie let me get my nerd on more than like really obvious movies that it would be like, ooh, we can go down it, we can go down the hole there. This movie actually provided me with more more than I'm used to.
1: I mean, it's elevated almost to theater. This is like a stage play. Yeah, right. This is a, like a stage drama. You could you could do this on a stage live. It would be great. I would love to see that. Maybe someday somebody will do a a, a theater production of this. It's perfect for it. So if we're all in love with Aya Cash, which I think we are, uh, you can
2: catch her in like five seasons of the, the TV show You're the Worst. She also had an arc on Amazon show The Boys for season two last year, which I love that show and I think a lot of horror fans do. It's a really, really messed up like take on superheroes. Very, very gory. Um, but she has a comedy that came out this April called We Broke Up. And she's starring alongside William Jackson Harper, who we saw as Josh in Midsummer. So there's a little tie in there. And apparently she had a role in The Wolf of Wall Street, but I didn't have time to watch that like three and a half hour epic. The Werewolf of
0: Wall Street. (laughs) The Werewolf of Wall
2: Street. But also if you're if you're thinking about like, could there ever be a sequel to Scare Me? This is a quote right from Josh Rubin, which I, made me love him more. But he said, I thought about a sequel. I mean, who would have thought that anyone would be interested in even exploring something remotely in that world? But there may be something in the works, which is bonkers. Way sooner than I ever thought I would be talking about it, but we'll see. It's a Herculean effort to make anything these days. And he says, if I can just stay in the genre, whether it's creating objects out of space to scare people in a cabin or making werewolf movies,
1: I'll take it. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right.
0: Oh, yeah. 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 I was raised by the
1: wolves. I was raised by the wolves. I was raised by the
0: wolves. 8-7-4, run through the night, playing with your life. So back at the
1: movies, we went to see Werewolves Within, directed again, of course, by Josh Rubin. He was brought into this project based on the strength of his work on Scare Me. So he did not write this one. This was written by Mishnah Wolf. Wolf. That's uh, another one of these coincidences that seemed to come up with both of these movies. So it was an existing screenplay, and he was brought in to direct, and... Like we said, he doesn't star in this, which I was kind of bummed too. But in his place, we have a ensemble cast uh, that is populating the small town of Beaverfield, Vermont, where a forest ranger, Finn Wheeler, has just arrived. He is going to be stationed for the duration of a, a possible installation of a pipeline that is dividing the town figuratively. And as soon as he shows up and begins meeting this... Very, like, eccentric and very diverse sort of uh, crew of residents. A winter storm rolls in. The snow starts pounding. The lights go out, of course. The roads are blocked. Again, we're in The Shining. And Janine Sherman's Lodge becomes ground zero for everyone to take shelter and figure out what's going on when the dogs start coming up dead and the bodies start showing up. I really love this movie. For a lot of reasons I think this has a very authentic warmth to it like a soul that you don't necessarily see a lot especially in horror comedy and I think it has such a unique and and very sharp sense of humor it's very very subtle and it might be a little too subtle for its own ultimate good. We can talk about that, but I keep seeing and hearing more things. The more I watch it, I, I just watched a little bit last night, just as I was like powering down before bed and, and I was still seeing and hearing new things, hearing little lines I didn't hear before, little jokes and seeing little details that I hadn't seen, even though I've been watching it. Um, so I, I really think that's interesting and, and pretty special. Uh, the direction, the camera work, the look of it, it looks great the soundtrack again um is a big part of this and of course the huge cast of people that you would know in comedy none of these people are big stars but if you were into the comedy world you know almost everyone in this of course the only one i'm not going to go down through them all right now but the one i care about the most of course milana veintraub as cecily my other new favorite here um this is this is a great one kevin i know you love this one
2: I love this movie, and Trent, we, we texted about it a bunch. Your fave here, Cecily,
1: mm. I was
2: like, well, how do I know her? So I'm looking it up, and I was like, oh my god, it's, it's the actress from the AT&T commercials. Lily. I was like, what the hell? Um, otherwise, like your two lead actors, I know it's it's largely ensemble, but they're focusing on Finn Wheeler and Cecily, they've done a lot of TV together. Um, And somehow both of them were in 2016's Ghostbusters, which I don't I don't remember either because I think I watched that once. Uh, But yeah, this is great. Uh, You're right. The subtlety at times stops it from being like full like Shaun of the Dead level good in the horror comedy space. Because this has mad Edgar Wright vibes, like not just Shaun of the Dead, but like the whole trilogy that he did uh, with Simon Pegg. Um, and Nick Frost. It has, like, crazy vibes of that. And, you know, we've talked about werewolf movies a lot. We did the episode on the main feed. Trent and you and I went a little deeper down the werewolf movie rabbit hole. The bar is very low to have a good werewolf movie, but honestly, this one jumps over it a lot higher. So while acknowledging that it doesn't take much to make a great werewolf movie, um, in, in the minds of, of us, I think, at least, this one does. Uh, it's, it's super funny. Again, it doesn't. It doesn't quite have like the arc, like Scare Me does in that subtle way. I think that you know it's Ruben's first stab at a feature film where you have, a, a, you have to you have to have a climax in a werewolf movie. You have to button this thing up in a very particular way, and I think for the most part he keeps the reveal pretty well hidden. But I think I, I upon- didn't guess it. Upon subsequent watches, there are there are some things that give it away, but that's always the case. Hindsight twenty twenty, um, you know, I don't think he totally sticks the landing, uh, but the, this cast that he picked and the way that he chooses to 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 sort of like give each of them their own particular character and their own place in the ensemble is really smart. It's it's really good. There are like a few scenes where everybody starts talking and there's like so much dialogue that I think you miss it. So maybe that's where like Trent, you're picking up on things like in subsequent watches where you're like, oh, I didn't catch that the first time because literally there are scenes where seven people are talking. And I think it belies the cast, takes away from the cast talent and also Ruben's talent at directing like a full on feature like this where he gets to expand the setting and he gets to really work the camera. And and work with you know his cinematographers and, and everybody and also before Dave's take I think this is the first movie that so prominently features snowshoes jokes.
0: <laughs> who done it? Who done it? Who done it? Um, the the thing about Who Done It movies, uh, I loved Werewolves Within, but as soon as you figure out as a viewer, oh, this is a Who Done It, you all of a sudden want to be your goal is to be smarter than the people that made the movie and you're like oh i'm gonna figure it out and you start watching it differently you kind of have like a little like oh it's them and sometimes you can't enjoy it because if you do predict if you spend your whole hour and a half focusing on trying to figure out the puzzle you can you can miss some of the stuff in the movie um but also if you guess then you're not going to like it as much you'd be like oh i guess that (laughs) <laughs> Maybe I'm just a dick when I watch movies. Um, but um this this was pretty surprising and uh I like how Misha Wolf made a, a movie about wolves. I we've been talking about this episode that we're gonna do where we come up with a pitch for a horror movie and I hadn't thought of the gutter before. <laughs> like yeah. clean out the gutter before <laughs> it cleans out you or so you know what yeah. I mean? Like that's the tagline. So I might have to make that, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, exactly everything you guys said, like great characters, again, uh, great dialogue. I did read that, uh, or I listened to interviews where uh, Josh Rubin was uh, talking a lot about being involved in the writing or the rewriting of this for the movie. That makes um, sense. And that he did have, yeah. and there was also a part where they asked him like, what's your thoughts on comedians uh improvising their part or when do you make them stick to the script or whatever and his answer kind of gave me the vibe that he was like uh, stick to the script yeah (laughs) you know what I mean like uh, (laughs) so um but yeah I mean he's he's great at at directing and like I said I was sad that he wasn't going to be in this so I went into this already being like this is gonna suck without him in it but uh, he's very talented uh, behind the camera as well. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh, he keeps on doing. And it's, we've done very few like director uh, features, but we just got like a one-two punch like in the last couple months for this guy. And we're like, whoa, Uh, you know, um, I said I was like going through interviews and um, things where he was doing stuff online. And you know some of the interviews are with very small syndications, or if you want to call them that. Yes. And some of them have like under 200 views. Oh, and, way under. Uh, yeah. So I mean, uh, it's it's. I'm, I'm glad we're doing this, and I really, I'm super psyched to see Josh Rubin uh, is in a movie theater near you. I I is has a, like a real 80s. I vibe. was shocked.
2: I was shocked when I looked it up.
0: But it's perfect. It's perfect for going to the movies. Uh, it does have a little bit. It's not set in the 80s, but it has an 80s vibe, like, in the way the story's told. And it kind of has some tropes that are that are horror movie things. But he wears it on his sleeve so boldly. And it's like, yeah, this is what I'm copying. Check me out. It's not like he's ripping anything off. Uh, it's always a very nice homage to horror whenever he's, uh, you know, using inspired by something and uh using it in the movie
2: yeah it's very it's very tasteful every everything about his stuff is like self-aware but not in like too cheesy of a way and there are lots of homages but they're very tasteful and he puts his own twist on them and you know you, you mentioned the shining trend like we have the shining again i also got like 30 Days of Night vibes from this. Sure. Where it does kind of close down into like, you know, a kind of a single setting and you've got sort of like a terror outside. But my favorite part of this movie is is the final act. And, and, and I don't know, like, it's only 97 minutes long, so I don't know exactly what part of the movie this happens in. But they're trying to figure out, one, who's killing people to start with, and then, oh, is there a werewolf? And they're trying to navigate. Everybody has their own role to play in this very, very small town. We should also mention that there is a pipeline that's trying to be put through the town. So there is a financial state here where people are trying to figure out, you know, do I vote for the pipeline and get a bunch of money? You know, some lower income people. You've got some more well-to-do people and some more environmentally conscious people that don't want to vote for the pipeline. Ruben I don't know what part of this you know where he came into the script but I agree Dave it was good to hear you say that Ruben was involved in the script because I definitely thought that assumed that you know you've got some real political stuff in here that's very subtle some well some of it's subtle some of it's not so much but at well, the some-
0: pipeline the pipeline is in the news today I mean the, the ocean caught on fire uh because of a pipeline I was, yeah I was thinking of this movie when I was reading the headlines
2: Yeah, and then you have this, like, final act of deaths that is so creative. It's like, like, it makes you want to laugh at, like, the Saw franchise, how quickly Josh Rubin pulls together a bunch of creative deaths that are so, so good. I mean, like, you've got a gun. You've got some knife hands. You've got a truck. Another gun. You've got a fire poker fire. You have an arrow. You have a maple tap. So not only
1: is this the first movie I've ever seen, <laughs> Snowshoes, it's the first time I've ever seen a
2: maple tap used to actually yes. kill a person. It's Viciously. so good that way.
1: Yeah, the the timing and, and the methods of death in this are amazing. Usually when we talk about directors, when we do director episodes, we're talking about Toby Hooper, we're talking about David Cronenberg and people like that. This is the first one we have done about somebody who has only been on the scene as a director for one year. And I think it's even more remarkable with this movie when we talk about this broad ensemble cast of pretty accomplished performers. This is a guy who only had three people to worry about in Scare Me. I mean, you can right. say four, but I mean, the driver is in the movie for a total of five minutes. This is a guy who went from what is essentially a, a stage play, a theater production, and now he's overseeing this cast of 14 people. It's really amazing. And it, it kind of, to me, this is like, I would call this the, this is like the indie comedy horror Knives Out is really what this yes. is. If, yep. if, if you, for if sure. you, if you married, you know, um, Shaun of the Dead with Knives Out, that's Werewolves Within. And I think that what this movie comes down to, which is so interesting to me, and I don't think you see a a whole lot of, you certainly see this commentary, but it's really like, it's about what the community does to itself, what the neighbors here, which is something that comes up a lot, what they do to each other in this frenzy to find the werewolf, to figure out the werewolf, they really end up doing more damage to one another. I think that's, and that's something that, again, I think comes out more with, Subsequent viewings, because it throws it does throw so much at you. But one thing uh, that I think that this movie does that is very, very difficult and I haven't seen done super well and I think is really hard to do is, Kevin, you mentioned like some of the political or social or cultural stuff that goes on in this. There is a lot of humor about very modern issues that people call woke or they call PC or whatever your shorthand is up. So much of that, more than that. There's gender as a construct. There's uh, when when Cecily asks Finn, he mentions getting getting uh, canned from his last post. Did you touch someone? Because time's up. <laughs> yeah. You too. There yeah, it's, is. It's, uh, not, it's not about touching. Don't say Mexican standoff. Just say standoff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, 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 through the whole movie, there's all these jokes about what everyone is sort of trying to to navigate these days and i think it's very tough to do that especially as like a an older white guy when when you try to do that kind of humor it's so easy to come off one way in the room and another way in some sort of public performance it's so easy to come off like as like an example of why these things are happening because like oh, the old white guy has had enough of all this woke stuff. He, he thinks it's all very silly. Of course he thinks it's silly that now uh, other people get to set a little bit more parameters and other people get to say what's funny and what isn't or what's appropriate. And so now he's making fun of that. Really, isn't he making fun of that because he's kind of losing his spot? So the way this movie gets around that is that it has this very diverse cast of characters and I'm not talking about the identities of the actors and actresses but the characters themselves this community is like very broad uh, in in all aspects and they're all sort of dealing with it and they're all sort of like having what I think is a very I, I don't want to say clean laugh because it's 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 not that it's um, that it's toothless or anything like that but it, it just it's so universal in the way that they can sort of all relate to navigating, All of these different aspects that, you know, are new to a lot of people, especially, you know, people over 30 or 40. And I thought that was really, really well done. It really gets genuine laughs. They don't feel sour. Like, here's some old guy complaining that he can't say this or that word, you
0: know. When he talked in an interview about uh, reading the script the first time, he didn't mention any horror movie references. He said, I read it and I thought, this is Fargo. This is uh what was the other movie he referenced? Um Arachnophobia. Hot Fuzz. Or Hot Fuzz. Hot fuzz. Yeah,
2: yeah. There you go, there's Edgar Wright. Yeah.
0: Right. So um I don't know. I, I, I like how he's so uh just he'll just throw his influences out there. He's not reinventing the wheel. Uh he's just doing it like in the in Scare Me, she says, um, you know, how I get around people stealing my ideas is I just do it better than them.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: And I think that that's kind of his philosophy. Uh, he does, takes a really traditional idea uh, and just does it very, very well. Very confident writer.
2: What I thought was interesting is this was based on a video game. Like some yeah. VR video game? Yeah. So I think I'm going to go ahead and say this is the greatest video game adaptation <laughs> of all time. Yes. <laughs> like, it's just by default. Yes. again Definitely. Again, yeah, like low, Ubisoft is low bar. Werewolves movie, low bar. <laughs> video game adaptation, low, uh, if you're going up against you <laughs> bull in a celebrity death match, like, you're guaranteed a W.
1: <laughs> well, Ruben talks about that in some of the press he did, and that's another thing, Dave. You mentioned when you're when you're watching interviews with Ruben about this movie there's not a lot of interviews with Ruben out there cuz he's so new but what IFC films who distributed this movie what they did is they sent him out to all of these like little pissant podcasts and little pissant youtube shows like you said you go on there like his interviews some of them have like 47 views it's just some guy or some woman like on a zoom call and there are a whole bunch of them out there so and and you can find um Milana Ventrup doing the same thing. So that was obviously like part of the strategy was like get this on the on the ground floor. get this on the ground level of like real horror fans and real movie fans who are geeky and who maybe don't have a high profile show. There's very little of him doing any high profile stuff for this, uh, which I thought was really, really cool and kind of just speaks to the the whole vibe
0: of it. I like the uh the wild lady,, uh, the wild holistic lady uh what trisha trisha i love trisha. that was my
2: that was my favorite that was my favorite character other than finn and cecily trisha was so good and i didn't i don't think i watched snl in like 0809 but she's on she one was year cast, i think yeah she yeah. was like a cast member for that um and, and like trent said a lot of these people aren't like super super well known um, Cheyenne Jackson, who plays Devin Wolfson, I recognized immediately from Glee and several seasons of American Horror Story. But Trisha stole my heart with her performance. I'm, it's <laughs> so
0: good. But I'm actually afraid of that type of woman, the like holistic <laughs> yoga. Like I drink my period blood, uh, I only eat organic. Like, I mean, everyone, each to their own or whatever, but I'm personally a little bit scared every time I go to, like, the natural food market and I come across uh, this kind of, like, wild lady. They always have the long gray hair. They kind of like the the lady from The Visit had that vibe a little bit.
1: Well, Cecily introduces her to Finn as Stephen King's very own Trish. (laughs) (laughs) yes i love that line another Stephen king (laughs) reference
0: i think it's a small town uh character that uh it really hits home with me but
2: (laughs) she literally would fit in with like a movie set in castle rock like which is why it's a perfect comment but that entire sequence so finn gets to town he's the new park ranger he was relocated for something like super stupid and immediately meet Cecily, they become friends, and she's, like, sort of duping him into walking a package to a very, very scary man from town that she doesn't want to deliver the package. Cecily is the mailkeeper. They run into Trisha, and then eventually her husband, Pete. And Pete is the resident right-wing nut and also pervert. And within, like, two or three minutes, you have comedic gold. Like, that's, where, <laughs> <It's> that's <true. laughs> where Pete, like, ends it with, like, yeah, lock her up. He's, like, reading into every one of Finn's comments as, like, this, like, anti-left wing. Like, at some point, he asks Finn a question um, about, like, where he holds his gun or his bear mace or something. And Finn's like, yeah, never, never the left. And the, Pete's like, yeah, never the left. My kind of guy. And without missing a beat, <laughs> Cecily's like, not what he meant. <laughs>
1: Oh, it was, his, it was his salute. He saluted Finn with his left hand. Oh, how do you, how do you I, salute? Okay, that's yeah, what it was. Okay. It's like, never the left. <laughs> yes. There's so many of those little touches. There's also like some gun commentary in this because when they all get but, holed up at the lodge and they're, they're under attack by this werewolf, Finn is taking charge. He's, you know, we're all gonna split up and there's two people to a room. And, you know, he asks who has a gun. Well, almost every single person except for the high powered yoga couple And um, Cecily, everyone else in the whole thing has a gun. So he's like, "Great, we have. We should have a gun in every room." And then subsequent events. A short time later, he's like, (laughs) "All right, we're gonna lock up all the guns. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody, we're gonna lock those away." That was a bad idea.